Welcome back to School of Casting's a playground session, and this week we have got an amazing guest. And Dave, possibly the first time he's ever been really starstruck. <laughs> New York Times best-selling all-round legend, b-boy, breakdancing, amazing man crush. I wish I was him. Um, Carpioli. What else is there to say? Don't worry, he's not. This is a pre-recorded um, <laughs> intro, so you'll see me wet myself later. So we had an amazing conversation with Carl. There's loads of stuff in this around philosophy of movement and there's, there's real, some, some massively um, valuable and, and powerful stuff that we talked about. So we hope you guys are going to enjoy it. You know, Carl's even watched some of our stuff. Yeah. Which was surprising. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've followed his work for a long time, so it was a great privilege for us to, to get to have a conversation with him. So we hope that you guys enjoy it. Yeah. So here's Carl Pioli on the School of Kaisenks Playground Sessions. <laughs> Welcome back to the School of Calisthenics. It's Tim and Jacko, and I am literally wetting myself because we have got um, an amazing uh, guest for you today, and he is the one and only Carl Paoli, which I hope I pronounced right. But um, for the probably the only one person that might not know who you are, Carl, can you just give him a brief intro um, as we welcome you onto the School of Calisthenics podcast? Of course, my pleasure to be here. Thanks, guys. And and yes, you did pronounce my my last name right, so that's a win for today. <laughs> we can move to the second uh, question now. Tick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> check that one out. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I, I was a gymnast growing up. I, I got into action sports later in my life and uh, then eventually fell into the fitness industry. And within the fitness industry, I found CrossFit. And within CrossFit, I became a specialist in the gymnastics department uh, and although I was always operating on the outside or the fringes of what CrossFit was, I was heavily involved in it and uh, over time I uh, ended up becoming this bridge between the extended fitness community and CrossFit uh, simply by talking about uh, training from uh, a body weight perspective and it was very calisthenics oriented with uh, an artistic gymnastics approach uh, applied to CrossFit, but with this overarching theme of freestyle, which is the philosophy under which I operate, which is uh, all about accepting and respecting all styles of movement, first and foremost, and realizing that the most uh, important part about physical training is that this vehicle that we have, that is our body, uh, is something we need to learn how to drive. And whatever method we are attracted to or are following, to know that what we're really training for is transferability. It's for it to transfer into an outcome that is positive for the individual. And that can be uh, recovering from injuries, that can be uh, preventing injuries, that can be performing at a higher level in their sport, that can be uh, just enjoying some physical activity with their kids or simply being healthy and uh, feeling quote-unquote normal. And uh, uh, that's what I've been doing for the past 20 years. Some time. That's great. Are you still involved in CrossFit now as a as a coach? Are you still working with with athletes or? You know, right now it's a, I'm going through a pretty big transition, and it's been a transition that's uh, probably been ongoing now uh, over three years. And where I currently stand is I am a regular member at a CrossFit gym, and I take uh, CrossFit classes as a member uh, daily. Uh, so from Monday through Saturday and as a coach where I'm operating is at the level of teaching seminars so I, I coach the coaches and uh, as, as I speak about this transition right now what I'm, I'm looking for is what is the balance of this new iteration and understanding that I have that uh, can transcend all levels where I can be an athlete I can uh, be a coach to athletes and I can be a coach to coaches. I think it's really interesting you, you talking about your, the change in your philosophy because I've been a strength and conditioning coach for the last 10 years, been involved in training and fitness for, oh, so I started playing rugby when I was nine, 10 years old. And movement has always been a thing. When I started becoming, when I started my strength and conditioning coach training, I always considered myself to be a movement coach. And as part of that, I coach strength. 
Um, whereas a lot of people before I got into it, when working within the UK Strength and Condition Association, people were strength coaches. And it was almost like, I actually, my, my base level qualifications in National Academy of Sports Medicine through the performance enhancement, corrective exercise. So it's quite a, not clinical based, but it has that crossover with physiotherapy. So you're quite heavy on, on functional anatomy and understanding how the body works and moves. And as such, over the years, I've sort of worked with probably over 30 different sports. So you get this really broad uh, range of experience. But I always thought if I understand how the body moves and I can coach any sport, it doesn't matter. Um, but interestingly, over the probably last, I would say, three, four years, that movement has just become a really, I don't think it's a popular thing, but it's a much more um, prominent thing in the fitness space. We would never have had, years ago, people such as yourself talking about movement in that kind of capacity, people like Ido Portal, and this sort of, um, the buzz that's around movement. Why do you think that's, that's sort of come about in, in more recent times? Well, I think it's uh, it's the balance between engineering and art. And if you think about a sport such as artistic gymnastics, uh, the origin of gymnastics, if you can even find it, uh, comes from people... Uh, uh, what they had first was their bodies, and that's where calisthenics is a thing. And then there was an interaction with other individuals and with equipment. And as that happened, there was an aesthetic presentation that was very appealing. And there uh, came the artistry of things. And the pendulum tends to swing between the uh, just raw development of the machine, the engineering, and then the presentation of that engineering, the design, the aesthetic. And movement is more on the aesthetic side. And what we know in design is that when something is well designed, it's also well engineered. And sometimes you need to shift between these two mindsets to be able to maximize performance. And uh, as strength and conditioning coaches that you guys are and uh, athletes who are listening, and even if you're not an athlete and you're someone who wants to become an athlete, you know that there's something about presentation, fluidity, uh, that is uh, attractive. And within that fluidity, within that presentation, you actually find all the principles uh, of a good strength and conditioning coach, of good physical performance, uh, and not even good. Uh, maybe it's optimal. Uh, maybe it's uh, 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 maximal. Who knows? But it, there's, there's a, a high level of expression there. And I think that's what movement uh, right now, which happens to be a buzzword, uh, mm. it's becoming a buzzword. It's <laughs> simply a fluid, artistic expression of uh, that is coming in the most complete form uh, for the things that I said previously, uh, getting you to perform the way uh, that you need to perform to live your best life, whether it's recovering from injuries, preventing injuries, uh, performing at your sport or simply feeling healthy. Yeah. I mean, and I, my dad took me down to play rugby when I was six years old and I played rugby like my whole life and had a career actually in rugby and I wouldn't change that for anything, but we played a few other sports like football, tennis, but one thing I really wish, I think it was just a million miles away from where my dad was at, but one thing I wish I'd have had was being taken to gymnastics as a kid, not because I want to be a gymnastics or wanted to swap sort of sports or careers, but just because of that, like, that base um, foundation of, well, I guess it is, yeah, movement, but movement and strength and controlling your body, um, a lot of things that a rugby career takes a lot out of you in terms of yeah. absorbing impacts, you do the opposite. You, everything just tightens up to try and protect you. And they're having a bit of a... I, I see people when, I mean, I've seen someone the other week came to one of our handstand classes. She did gymnastics as a kid, doesn't do, and hasn't done any for like 15 years, did a straddle, sat on the floor, straddle pressed a handstand. And I went, flipping heck. And she, I was like, oh, every now and again, I just do it to see if I can do it. She said, I went, well, how often? She was like, maybe once a month, once every other month. And she can, and, and just, I was like, <laughs> do you mean, if you've got that base, how it, it's almost like when you learn to ride a bike as a kid, like it, it's those things. To a degree, obviously, you lose the like finer art of it, but it stays with you. And it's just, I see it such a, I haven't got any children, but if I did, and if I do in the future, it would be something I would encourage them definitely for sure at a, 
at a base level to that you could transition into any sports or even like you say just like moving well for the rest of your life let alone not even trying to be a mm. professional athlete necessarily Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and, and, and the, the question begs to be asked here is, is why is a sport maybe like rugby or football uh, more popular than a sport like gymnastics? Mm-hmm. And uh, some of it may, may have to do with inclusivity. Uh, it's, uh, although it's very simple to do gymnastics, it's, uh, it's not as, as um, approachable as uh, having a ball and being able to pass the ball or just running on the field and playing with your friends. So this, this notion of uh, socializing is extremely important. And I think uh, it's our responsibility as human beings to realize uh, what our practice is uh, offering us and where it's limiting us. And I think sometimes we have a blind spot for that. And I think that's what you're, you're bringing up in terms of uh, as a kid, your your dad taking you to play rugby, but rugby is a great sport. Yes. What is it that what, what what was it that was limiting us? Is there something we can create around rugby uh, that can make rugby more complete? And maybe that is tacking on a gymnastics component, a calisthenics approach um, that allows for it to be even bigger and more inclusive. And all of a sudden. What ends up happening is as we grow a methodology and the way we approach it, think about it, the complexity of it, but still stay true to the core of what rugby is, all of a sudden rugby and gymnastics become become uh, one and the same. Mm-hmm. And that's where we create that connection, that unity. And I think that's uh, very much what you guys are presenting uh, when you're talking about, here's the human flag and I'm carrying all this weight on. <laughs> Look oh, at my yes, side. he's watched the video. The world I'm record. What is the I, world I'm, record, Carl? Anyone I, know what I, that world I, record is? I have no clue. I have no <laughs> clue. But that has, that's impressive. So I think the conversation is how do you well, make stupid? Yeah, how do you make that stupid human trick <laughs> <laughs> relatable to the to the broadest audience in a way where they can see the connection? And I think that's where now all of a sudden we're transcending movement and we're going into the values and principles of what it means to be human. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that, I think that's why we're having this conversation. Yeah, I think um, I used to call, when we started calisthenics, I used to call it poor man's gymnastics because it was like we were trying to do gymnastics stuff. But th- those of us that have never done it, like watching a rugby player trying to do a handstand for the first time is ugly. Like um, mm-hmm. th- there's, there's certainly no point of toes or anything like that. And it was... But that's the point about accessibility as well. In well, yeah, of, this is like about experience. We went to gymnastics at one time. <laughs> yeah, well, so I almost feel sometimes that um, calisthenics um, in itself, or certainly how what what our representation of it from from us at the school calisthenics is only alive because gymnastics as you said can be quite hard to start or get into particularly later on in life and we went to an adult gymnastics class having we've been doing calisthenics for a couple of years and went down to a class we couldn't even do the warm-up and mm-hmm. then we were just sort of left our own devices not it, being able to do the warm-up the basic movement patterns are okay like our hip mobility and getting to sort of like deep squat walking positions in those kind of like in those deep inner ranges but all of a sudden it progressed into cartwheel to Quick. cartwheel round off to like straddle to like and we were just me and Dave and I just looked at each other and we're like we are now massively out of our depth when can we just go and do backflips into the phone pit because that's <laughs> really why we were there <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but I think that's the one thing like you're going to say with, with calisthenics for us and there's a couple of things you said that really resonate with me and that we've kind of made it a bit more accessible because we're a bit rubbish ourselves like and it's almost people we've come from a place of not being yeah. um not being conditioned really to be able to rugby's not set us up well for a, for a good um or effective progression in calisthenics we've had to fight a little bit for it and i think a lot of people can can relate to that and that they're actually intimidated to go to a gymnastics club because as we went down there there's, there's guys that can move right and, and they're doing the adults and they've been in gymnastics for a long time and it's fairly intimidating unless you don't care and you just want to go and have a play around which was which is a lot of what our, our philosophy around calisthenics came from was like we just want to play and it was fun and we'd been all this type of training before in the past of squats deadlifts push pressing whatever it was trying to put more weight on the bar and all of a sudden we're in the gym and, and Dave's like can you do a handstand on that I was like well, I don't know I'm gonna try but it was cool mm-hmm. because you fall and you fail and we just we just literally we weren't bothered what anybody yeah, was exploring movement and strength and what your body we talk about exploring our physical potential but just sort of what your body can do and it not being 
it breaks my heart when I've had friends that are like, they go to, it just does happen to be a CrossFit, but um, he knows exercise is really good for him, but he actually doesn't like it. But he finds it, bo- like he finds it boring. And we went through that phase of, um, like I used to train, lift weights and things to play, to be better at rugby. And when I retired mm-hmm. from rugby, it was like, now you can do whatever you want. I found myself in the gym doing exactly what the coach would tell us to do. And then I was like, why am I, I could do anything. It was like, and then, you know, Tim started exploring some handstands and it just sort of grew from there. But it was really that idea of getting away from um, the, the norm and doing something a bit, mm. a bit different, a bit fun. Um, it also, we try to encourage us to look at what can we do with our body as opposed to how does it look? Because all of a sudden, if it's just, aesthetics with weights it's the purpose I don't know I, I've actually find it now because I've really struggled then with that motivation when there was nothing to train for um, mm-hmm. and when I see someone now that like blitzes themselves in the gym for no reason other than they want to look great part of me like thinks I don't know I feel a bit awkward about it but then part of me is like wow like you, your motivation to do that then is still quite um impressive but it comes down to this idea like we were talking about movement earlier about what can we do with our bodies yeah. and certainly gymnastics is about that the guys look yeah. amazing don't they but yeah all they, they do. try they're, then they don't they don't not doing bicep kills they're they're learning they're training to do a certain thing yeah i think there are a couple layers here to to talk about uh the the one thing that's standing out is what can our body do and mm. i think that's a great question that everyone should ask themselves because if you're sitting on the couch watching TV and all of a sudden you see uh, someone on TV uh, do something very impressive with their bodies, maybe you're watching Ninja Warrior or something and you're wondering how, how, do, they, how do they get through these obstacles? Uh, how, how do they train for that? I, I think it's important to ask yourself, could I do something like that? And uh, the second thing is, where do, where do I start? And I think you guys are providing uh, for the world a place where they have a school to have a starting ground. And right now, it's uh, encouraging people to ask themselves, what can I do with my body? And in the process of uh, exploring that, what will I learn that will transcend uh, my physical practice? And I think that's what you were kind of talking about is if someone uh, has the motivation of going to the gym simply to look good, the question is always what need is that person trying to meet by trying to look good? Because it's not about looking good. And this is what what my my daughter shared with me uh, last night. She said, no matter how much I do my hair or put makeup on, I always feel the same inside. So what is it inside that um, we're trying to to get met? And what is the external expression that we feel attracted to? And I think this is where uh, the biggest separator in methodologies, in uh, one human to another, is interest. What is our interest? Is your interest to get a handstand? Train for that. Work towards that. And then see how everything around us, all methodologies, all styles, are actually merging towards that in their values and their principles. So you must identify those. And in order to even become a part of that process, you need to ask yourself that question. What can my body do? And am I willing to go explore that? Yeah. And I, I, I think it's just so cool that you guys have a, a school uh, that is providing uh, some guidelines for people to do that. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting what you're saying about um, having the confidence to explore. It. And I think we've been, we've been privileged. I, at my background, um, and Dave joined me, sort of four years ago was working with Paralympic athletes. And I know you've done some work in the past with an American that's often an adaptive athlete, Paralympic athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've worked with people the first time, the first athlete I started coaching when I, was, when I began as a strength and conditioning coach was a double leg above knee amputee. So I've got all this stuff in my, my brain about, I'm going to do a squat assessment, lunge assessment, we're going to do all this stuff. And this, then this guy, Rich, walks in and I'm like, right, need to think about this a little bit differently. So all of a sudden, your understanding of movement, your understanding of manipulation of a training environment just changes massively because we're constantly sort of looking to how am I going to create the movement that I want to get the sport-specific outcome, but 
um, cater for what you can do. And it was very much interesting for me with that as a partnership approach with an athlete because it was almost like I, the first thing I asked Rich to do was like, okay, take your prosthetics off. Can you stand on one leg? And he's like, I have never been asked to do that before. And the same when for working with a wheelchair athlete, someone with a spinal cord injury, first question, can you get out of the chair? And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, this is, this is awkward. And there's a lot of people wouldn't have the confidence to ask that question, but I, like, I need to see what you can do because if you can do that, then maybe you can do this. Maybe not now, but I can get you to that point. And I think that's that, that you're asking those questions, but the thing that I love about working with Paralympic athletes is for the most part, they're not afraid to ask that question. They want, they, they, they've got this body and they, a lot of them, especially if it's been an impairment which they've had from birth, it's maybe slightly different if it's a traumatic um, experience that they've had. But they're, they're going, they're like, can you do that? I don't know, I'll try. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never, I've, I've never, I'm sure if you ever had somebody go, not just go, well, I'll try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 around to me. Go, no, I can't do that. Yeah, there's always Mm -hmm. try, and I find that mindset from the from the athletes is something that I've learned a lot from over the years. What's been your experience of working with with sort of adaptive athletes? Yeah, uh, adaptive athletes, uh, masters athletes, so the older population and kids. Those are the ones that contain all the principles and lessons we need to be able to uh, work with uh, the (laughs) general population. Uh, but with the adaptive athlete, it's always been stripping it down to the basics. What are the things that uh, we need? Oh, yeah, you need to be able to get out of bed, get into bed. <laughs> you need to be able to wake up and, and, and fall asleep. You need to be able to eat. You need to be able to uh, serve yourself in, in a way where you can complete basic bodily functions. And it all, all starts with being able to control whatever uh, access you have of your spine because that's where the motor control begins. And then how do you uh, create an extension from your spine outward and uh, working with what you got. And as you're working with what you got, how can you develop patterns that are mechanically uh, safe, useful, and long-lasting? And how do you develop standards there in terms of movement that are serving you and your purpose and are those transcending beyond yourself? And I think that's that's what I've learned from working with them in this population. And uh, it, it really puts your knowledge to the test. Yeah. And it gives you a great understanding because the context is ever-changing. Mm-hmm. And you realize that this happens with the general population as well. It's just that the, the, the difference is so subtle between one person and another that sometimes it's easy to get lost. But this magnifies uh, the basics to a level that I believe is extremely important. And we should all practice uh, experiencing what it's like to live in a wheelchair or not be able to use your arms or not your, be able to use your legs. Uh, things things change and your perspective changes. The other thing is um, minorities always stand out. And when you put yourself in a position where you are a minority, you become aware. And I think that's one of the things that uh, we do as, as coaches is we put people in a position where all of a sudden they feel like they uh, do not belong to a group. That's the stressor. And then we help them belong. And that's where we create that, that unity. And, and, and belonging happens through motion, which uh, transcends to what's happening in our mind and, uh, of course, emotionally as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I love that you touched on there about it goes back to what we started on about being fit to be, like fit to, to live in the life that you want to live. And some of them, a lot of the, the stuff that we've done over the years with the Paralympic athletes has been driven towards medal success, World Paralympic Games, whatever it is. That's the ultimate end goal, and that's what they get paid to. That's what I'm paid to do to support them. But some of the, the proudest moments that I've had as a coach working with that population is when they come in, they're so excited. And they're like, Tim, I walked downstairs last night, and I had two cups of tea, one in each hand, and I didn't spill any of it. And like, I've been to supermarket, and I walked around and do my groceries by myself. It was amazing. And it's... It's that thing of going, I've helped you in some small way, and you've done a lot of the work yourself, but I've helped you, and I've just, I've, you've improved your quality of life, and you're now better able to live in the world and, and get more enjoyment out of that because we've done something positive to help you to move better. And in the micro, they want to win a medal or whatever yeah. it is, but in the macro, that is actually the most valuable or more important yeah. 
thing. But those are the things that I think I remember when I look back on my career and go, what did I achieve? That is as important as, once you, the first gold medal was amazing, like, and you're buzzing. But after they've been in the game for a while, it's almost like I, I need to find value outside of that because one medal becomes two, becomes five and, and whatever. And it's that stuff of the human interaction. That actually, I might have made a difference to how somebody can enjoy their life through a little bit of knowledge that I've experienced over the time, but not being afraid to ask that question, what can you do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that you're talking about, um, Carl said about like challenging your, um, challenging your coaching, your knowledge, um, the problem solving aspect of it like when somebody you're trying to get um someone to do i don't know triple extension but actually they're above knee amputee and they've only got the hip to do that like where are you going to get some of that um the rest of that power production from or in a balanced position just seeing where like how the body does adapt and can do more and can um make up for what's missing somewhere else so we might be balancing but using like lateral flexion of the spine an awful lot more than what the proprioception of the foot will do and it takes time to be able to teach the, another body part to make up the slack of something that's missing and that problem mm-hmm. solving is yes like you said challenging but it's also like I don't know motivating I've always loved that side of things like I used to love science at school and whatnot. Um, and I think with, with, with that's one side of things and we've that's where we built our base of knowledge and of, around human movement and our coaching but then Taking that into calisthenics, it was more like the the problem we were trying to solve was we're trying to do that thing that looks impossible. I've got no idea how to do it. How can we break that down and apply our bodies to it? Um, and if we are lacking shoulder extension or internal rotation for our muscle, well, we can do something to try and help with that. It's not that we're missing the part mm. of the body or whatever it is, or we've got CP, or but we've we've got a different challenge. The challenge is the thing, and then we're going to work out how to do that. And I think that's one of the things that. Um, we love about it it's one of the things we try and educate it's why we called the whole thing a school want to try and educate the athletes about the athletes the, the it can be general public whoever the, pe- the people the students that's what I mean the mm-hmm. students about yeah. it and it sort of sometimes like a lot of people get it and they go like love, love how you're like trying to teach us and, and make us understand what we're doing but we still get a lot of questions and are interested in what you, your thought is where people go they just want to be told what to do. Like, tell me what training sessions to do on Monday, Tuesday. But and for us, it's yeah. for us. We don't. We, we're trying to find this balance, and we find it really difficult to go. I understand that that's what you want, but it's of more value if we give you a six-week program. What are you going to do in week seven? Whereas if we mm-hmm. don't give you a program, we give you the principles and teach you and help you understand how to apply that. Then you can go and train and do anything forever. Um, how do they like? How how have you? dealt with that and how do they do with that in in gymnastics I get the impression like gymnastics isn't three sets of ten on that and then move on to the next piece of equipment is it like, <laughs> yeah, in yeah, the gym yeah, everyone's like progression different. is just three sets of ten and then put a bit more weight on the bar um, yeah uh, it's, 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 it's of course different but it's in gymnastics is the same thing it's you have to do the repetitions here's the set complete this many routines this is how we're going to periodize your year this is how you're going to uh, be peaking right when you have to uh, and there's a, a, a huge engineering component to it, which is the prescription, which is what everyone wants. Give me the secret sauce. Just tell me what to do. <laughs> and I have struggled hard with this uh, for many years. And eventually I realized, you know what? If you want to come to me for the prescription, do it. But guess what? I'm going to pack a punch right behind it. Uh, and you won't even know you're getting the dose of uh, understanding that uh, I'm going to provide for you. And, and, and uh, that's what's exciting. And I feel like, oh, you want the prescription? Here's the prescription. Go for it. There will be a few people within the, the, the practice that will be open to those questions, to learning what's behind it. And once those become uh, interested, now it's a trickle-down effect where uh, it becomes cool to understand beyond the prescription, beyond the, the what uh, you're doing. And I think that's where it gets exciting. And right now, the way I've been dealing with it is by I currently offer this online training program. I'm like, okay, whoop-de-doo, here's another freaking program, <laughs> right? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> well, I, ca- I care, 
uh, first and foremost. But what I really care about is what's behind it. And what's behind it is a core group of people that I get to interact with daily. And I get to share what's behind the reason for prescribing 10 reps of a pull-up or this form in a pull-up. And uh, that gets people to engage and understand, become self-sufficient. And the most important part here is, once again, is how we interact with our students and realizing where they're at and being able to meet them there. Kids, usually, they, they need someone to uh, handhold them. So if your student, even if they're 50, are at the child stage of a student level, you have to handhold them and you have to give them the prescription and here are the ingredients and here's how you're going to put together this, uh, this recipe. This is how you make the food. This is the temperature. You know? You're giving them all the how-tos. And then eventually you're going to have the teenage phase where they're going to be like, I don't need the school of calisthenics. I can just do my own thing. Why would I pay for these guys to give me the prescription? I can give myself my own. That's fine. As long as we can meet them where they're at, oh, I'm so excited yeah. that you are in that stage. I, I encourage you to go explore and then, you know, remain in touch with them. And how is it going? Would love to hear more. What have you learned? Yeah. Uh, share with us. And then eventually they enter the adult stage. And the adult stage is where now they come back and they come back to the pillar, to the foundation, and they're ready for a collaboration uh, that goes both ways. And I think that's where I've found peace in being able to meet uh, my students, the people I work with, where they're at. And that's a constant uh, struggle. That's a constant uh, work in progress. And that's the beauty of being able to uh, have, a, have all these multifaceted uh, conversations and approaches. And I think that's the beauty of what you guys are doing once again is to kind of celebrate the school of calisthenics right now is that you're providing that there's a template and you guys are producing a ton of content around it that is fun compelling storytelling uh interviews that are reinforcing why we're doing these things and uh, how you can evolve within the actual practice. And I think that's that's really cool. And that's that's what I've experienced and I believe you guys are experiencing. Yeah. I think it comes down to culture, doesn't it? That culture takes time and a cultural shift takes time. And I think what you've done, which is amazing with the Freestyle Connection, is you have a, there's a culture around that. Like I think you, you it's very clear on, on what it's about and what you get it into. And I think you're dead right about taking that longer-term approach. It makes me think about where I want to be years down the line of working with an athlete and then ultimately my goal is the athlete comes into a session and I say to them what do you want to do today and they go I'm going to go xyz I'm going to like great session let's do it because they actually don't need me anymore I'm there to just facilitate so it's that early stage like you say with kids I'm, I'm sort of going to show you what I want you to do and I'm going to give you teach you the principles but ultimately you, we want the people to the athletes to take responsibility for their own program and responsibility for their own performance and I think we, we, from a cultural perspective, we want to help support everybody to do that. I think the challenge comes with us is, is that people, and it goes back to sort of like they want the, 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 tell me the how, I don't really care about the why. It's this fast track. I want to get straight to the end point as quick as possible. I don't actually want this self-discovery. Um, but I think obviously culture takes the time to embed. And if you stick with that, then that becomes something of value and something a bit more robust that it's, um, people, like I said, drawn back into. One thing I wanted to ask you, Carl, is I've got a, uh, we just touched on that, on that kids, um, kids thing, and I'm interested, you've done some breakdancing, am I right? You're B-boy b uh, around the gymnastics and... We, we call it B-boy in B-boy, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I've got a one where he's 14 months old and I'm a little boy, Jack, and I sort of, he started to think about, okay, what does movement look for? And, and I've loved watching him start to explore that um, and watching him go through that process, and I've learned a lot around that, about from from a, a psychology perspective of it. Just he just 
He doesn't give a rat's ass about when he falls over. He's just having a great time <laughs> all the time when he's moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw a guy called Jeremy Shepard speak at a conference last year, um, and he's done work with the Australian surfing team, working now with the Canadian snowboarding team, and he talks about sports that we celebrate in the UK as being like, they're square sports, they're boring. He's like diving. You know what the athlete's going to do before they even jump off the board, it's boring. Whereas if you're doing snowboarding and a half pipe, um, if the guy in front of you does a bigger trick than what you got planned, right there in that moment, you've got to go and find a bigger trick if you want to win. The, if you want to win, how do, from your experience of having done gymnastics and then more into freestyle sports, how does that kind of mix together? And, and from a, if, if you're taking a, a baby as, as I've got, like any sort of advice of, of where you would sort of to, to 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 shape that? Does it need structure and the the creativity side that comes with freestyle sports? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, there's there's always rules uh, to anything, and uh, right now the the laws and rules that we abide by are the physical laws of nature. So that's that's where you start, and then the interest of the child will start to arise. As a father, it's important for you to be able to acknowledge what that is and to be open to exploring. Because if if the kid is starting to flip around and he likes to flip around. Maybe it is gymnastics, but maybe it's not artistic gymnastics. Maybe it's street gymnastics. Maybe it's parkour. Uh, oh, he likes to dance and he likes to roll. Maybe it's break dancing. Yes. Uh, and and so, so you, you can start. Yeah. So Hopefully. you can start. Uh, you can start exploring these different things without getting caught up in uh, what you believe is best for the kid, but rather let the kid tell you what is best for them. And and create an environment that's conducive for the kid to be able to express that and right now the way the kid expresses that at 14 months is <laughs> is is by moving <laughs> and you can see it in their facial expressions and uh, they're slowly starting to say you know their, their first word these things so i think that's that's extremely important the other thing to keep in mind is that play is uh, one of the seven basic emotions of of uh that we have, and that's the most uh, primal thing. And and with without play, uh, we are imbalanced and actually become unhealthy uh, because we're suppressing one of those those emotions that actually uh, allow us to function at the highest level uh, when it comes to a cognitive perspective and emotional uh, intelligence perspective and. Uh, physical development that is ever changing throughout life. So, yeah, my my suggestion is let the kid be a kid and and slowly guide them into things. And even when there's a reactive response to maybe an approach, let's say you put them into gymnastics and all of a sudden they have to follow these rules and they don't want to. It is not trying to fit them into the program, but rather figure out what is it that is causing that resistance and what is the root cause of it not working and that's the ever uh changing challenge that i think we're met with as parents and as coaches and as individuals ourselves yeah great i think it's uh, he's currently a bit like a tasmanian devil at the moment like he's just literally a whirlwind in the house but um I think what you say, even at that age, just being aware of, of, and it's the same for us now, but let him direct his own practice. What does he find enjoyment in? And the same thing as going into play for us. If I, I, calisthenics for us brought back play and I see so many people in gyms and they're bored and they don't, they, they kind of like tolerate it, but they don't, they're not thriving. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I love that idea that actually as adults, we forget to play and, and this sort of stuff that what we're trying to do and the same thing from, from your uh, movement practice is around just bringing enjoyment back just get some of that back that play sense because it's um like i say it's, it's made my training so much more enjoyable and my adherence to it is much greater like this calisthenics is the longest i've stuck at a form of training before i was like jumping around from strength training to hypertrophy training to whatever because you've got all these like as a strength and condition coach you're a kid in a sweet shop you've got all this stuff i'm just gonna do a bit of that nothing sticks but i literally haven't done a strength based like weight based upper body session for the last four years because I just enjoy moving my own body weight and there's so much fun to be had with that and there's constantly something else for me to do. So And you're stronger. Yeah, I'm stronger. We, de- we actually tested his overhead press, which he'd not done in four years, but does loads of handstand press. Like Tim's handstand press-up strength is ridiculous. And 
overhead press, overhead shoulder press went up. Um, yeah, more than I'd done before, which is, it felt horrible not because the barbell, so the skill of the barbell was like, I started lifting it and it wasn't a particularly great experiment because I literally did four reps to see if I could get to my heaviest. <laughs> so the build-up wasn't, wasn't optimal. But it, it, but it, it served yeah. its purpose. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, like Tim's little boy's called Jack, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a bit of a harsher uh, um, feedback on, I would say, force him to do break dancing. And when he is 25, he will 100% say to you, Dad, I'm so glad you made me do... When he just surrounded Because he girls. would be like, <laughs> I am flipping cool, I'm going to be cool for it. Like, if you can break dads, you're cool forever. Job mm-hmm. done. Case in point. Well, I, th- <laughs> I, 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 th- I, think, I think it's important, though, to, to be able to create a culture around that. If, if, for example, as a parent, you have resistance towards... Uh, something like breakdancing, for example, for whatever reason. Maybe you're just not attracted to it. You, you don't feel it. Well, think about it at the rawest level. It's what is it that makes breakdancing breakdancing? There's music and there's movement. Okay, that's dance. And then there's some elements of acrobatics that the, the kid naturally does. Let the kid fall into that. So if you like music, you can be like, oh, it's dance time. Just go, <laughs> yeah. go, go, go dance. And then you can select whatever music you want. The best b-boys can b-boy to um, uh, classical music. Mm. You know, they, they can to a guitar playing, and it, it's just an expression that has a certain aesthetic to it uh, that is is inspired by music and and what's what's behind it. And I think uh, that's something that is important. Is if we're talking culture, you can start to. Uh, orchestrate and design that culture at home in a way that feels genuine to you. Yeah, I think that's that's what we must do as parents. Because if you, as a parent, uh, you don't feel the hip hop culture, don't go down that 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 path because that is not genuine and true to you. Uh, so I think that's important to to keep in mind. But finding what is common between different cultures. Let's say we're talking about the hip hop community and we're talking about the classical musical community. What is common? There are musical notes, great, and there are sounds. And within those sounds uh, are, are expressions and feelings and stories that are completely abstract and uh, perceived completely individually. That's where we start. Let's yeah. listen to music. And then now move to music. Oh, guess what? I know how to squat. I know how to handstand. Can you do a handstand to music? What does that look like? What comes out? Is it just static? Is it moving? Yeah. <laughs> That's, I think creating your own is extremely important. And this is where setting standards, I think, is, is uh, something that is coming up right now as I'm thinking about it. And for me, when I think about setting these standards for movement rules, as we were talking about, there are three things that come to play to come into play. The number one is uh, if it's mechanically sound, is what you're doing uh, safe enough? Meaning, yeah. are you going to survive, and are you going to be able to do this for a relatively long time? The second thing is, uh, does it fall within uh, the rules of a sport or a game that already exists? Meaning, uh, does this match another methodology? And the third one is. How does it look? Does it look cool? Does it look fun? Is it enjoyable? Then, then there's something there. That's when you start sticking to something. What ends up happening and where people start getting confused is when they see something that is mechanically safe um, and looks good but doesn't match the rules uh, or standards of a game or sport that already exists, they start thinking that, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's something we shouldn't be touching. In reality, that's what we should be striving for because that's where we're creating the new, mm. the new ways, the new sports, the new expressions, and that's the innovation of things. And I think uh, as a school that you guys are, that's one of the most important pieces that will set you apart. It's realizing the innovation that is uh, being born through your students and um, supporting that, encouraging that, and allowing it to flourish in a way that it actually influences how you guys are presenting your material. And I think that is of the essence uh, for us to be able to grow as coaches, athletes, and and people. Yeah, definitely. Um, You mentioned right back at the beginning, um, author of Freestyle Connection book, and you didn't 
I'm, I'm pretty sure New York Times bestseller. You didn't, you didn't, uh, you didn't sell that. But Tim bought it for me as a yeah. present a couple of years ago. Nice. Um, and uh, is it? I'm pretty sure. Does Kelly Starrett do the forward for it? Is that correct? He did. Yeah, yeah. he did. And I think, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I was interested to know like how you guys met. And one of the things I loved about like watching a lot of your stuff on YouTube was. Not just the like, okay, you, you, I've learned something about how to do a muscle-up or whatever it is, but actually like watching um, your presentation style and how you actually coach and how you come across on camera. I was always very impressed mm. um, by that. Uh, but that it was like, did that take some time to develop as a, like a coach on camera being different to what like we found that when we first started doing stuff on camera, it was like, uh, for whatever reason, this just feels weird, like because it's a camera, but like, it's just, you're doing the same thing, but there are two things. One being on camera, it's like, um, you have a finite amount of time. And I think it was Mark Twain who said, ask me to speak for an hour and I'll prepare for five minutes. Ask me to speak for five minutes and I'll prepare for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're on camera, what you realize is that you need the hour of preparation to be able to be simple, clear and compelling within those five minutes of presentation. So that's the, where you start feeling awkward. The other thing is that you seem to be speaking to uh, an inanimate object. But in reality, you're speaking to an audience. And what's very important is that you, you must realize that you are um, having a, a dialogue. It's just that the dialogue is a very slow one. And you're only in the <laughs> one direction dialogue at, at, at that but knowing that there is going to be someone that's going to reciprocate is going to give you the comfort. So I, I just thought I would uh, share that. And I think that's something that I've always had in the back of my mind. Uh, the way Kelly and I met was uh, I was looking for uh, Olympic weightlifting in San Francisco. And uh, someone had told me about CrossFit at the time. And the only place that did Olympic weightlifting and happened to be a CrossFit uh, gym was San Francisco CrossFit. So that's uh, where I went to San Francisco CrossFit, and he was coaching that day, and uh, he was the only coach at the time. <laughs> uh, so I I took his class and ended up becoming a member at San Francisco CrossFit when there were, I think there were 17 members or something like that. Um, and, and that's how we met. Yeah, I love those old videos of you guys doing stuff like, it's just under a tarpaulin and there's a porter cabin and it's just raw and I, yeah. I really like that but the quality of what the information that you guys are giving out as I said when I when I first started getting into calisthenics I thought I'm going to learn to planche because that's what you do as a beginner right <laughs> so I watched your like six step planche series and I'm like right I'm going to get started and then I realised actually it's, it's a lot harder than it looks <laughs> but well, that's awesome it. yeah but the quality of the information was great and um it, that just comes through about your presentation style as Dave says as a coach I think you communicate your information brilliantly it's, it's something that again we can all like we definitely have learned from in terms of how you've done that over the years I just want Thank to th- you. throw a quick question because um, I'm going to backpedal a little bit around skill acquisition so that planche is, um, is kind of it feeds in quite nicely in that what is the approach about learning um, skill acquisition because we've got uh, we're trying to break the world record for the most number of people doing a handstand at one time on international handstand day 23rd of June I'm assuming yep. you've booked your flights already <laughs> I'm booked actually can, you know what I'm going to be in a, I, I'm going to be in Berlin uh, on that day working or free uh, working but uh, who knows maybe I, <laughs> I can do a video. handstand at that I can do a handstand at that time Proxy. can you hold it for 15 seconds though that's the uh... I, I, I gotcha I gotcha <laughs> I'm not sure I will that's yeah, my we're, worry we're yeah. still doubtful that we're actually going to uh, we're going to make it um, you got it but the, um, there's a lot of people that we're trying to support at the moment and going towards this and, and for, for a lot of people who haven't got a, a background in gymnastics skill acquisition is hard um, what are your sort of tips and techniques around learning complex skills for the first time? And my planches hit a bit of a, a stumbling block where I just I can't get past my straddles okay, but I can't start to get into that that, um, that legs together position. And uh, there's some weak links in the kinetic chain that I need to address. But um, yeah, just interested on, on on your approach to that sort of thing. Yeah, I think uh, if you're okay with uh, the possibility of uh, maybe never arriving then you're, you're in. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> what did he say? 
<laughs> what I just said is you may <laughs> never do a plank with your feet together and <laughs> straight legs. <laughs> so, so no, cool. I, th- I, thought, I, thought <laughs> that was, I thought that was what he said. <laughs> redefine, no one needs- redefine your impossible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I hope you get it. I hope you get it. Uh, the truth is we don't know. And I have a question for you. Do you want to know? Because if, if you knew the end of the movie, would you watch the movie? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, the, the, so the, the journey, journey of it. And, and the talk of it, yeah. The one thing that we've right. found a lot over the, the, what we've done, and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, muscle-ups so would be difficult to learn and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, different, different movements. We've actually, there's been so much value in that journey for us because actually we've made so many mistakes that we, we put stuff out now and we go, hey, it's how to, how to make a handstand. And we see people doing it in like seven, eight weeks. And we're like, it took me six months to do that. But we've managed to wheedle out all the stuff that doesn't work because we were so bad. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I would. I, I do want to know the end of it. Like in terms of I do want to I do want to achieve it because it was one of those impossibles that I first started. I remember trying to put my hands on the floor in that position and Jack and I were in the gym together and I looked at him and I said, mate, I've got nothing in that. How do you even hold your body in that position? And now I've got to a point where I'm like, okay, I've got a straddle. Um, and I like, I'm a bit of a, I'm, a, I'm stubborn in that if I start something, I want to finish it. Um, it's awesome. So I think I'm going to keep going, but, um, but it doesn't feel like I'm making a huge amount of progress. Um, well, that's probably then you're doing it right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the, big, the, big, the biggest complaint I've, I've gotten uh, from my coaching is, Carl, I'm doing everything you're telling me to do, and I'm seeing no progress. I'm like, well, that's not my problem. (laughs) 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 And I I don't care about your problems, honestly. But what I do care about is, what are you going to do about your problems? Mm. And, and, And that's where you, for example, you said, I have a couple kinks in my kinetic chain, which sounds very advanced. Uh, the, the, The question is, what the hell are those kinks? And how are you working on them? And how can we collaborate now on trying to develop those kinks in your kinetic chain, the, the kinks in your armor that are going to get you closer in a way that they are not debilitating you and not holding you back from uh, pulling out to the first, first uh, to the big picture. And I think that's the, that's the balance. And that's where one must show up daily. One must do uh, the little things really well. One must chase quality, whatever that means to someone, and it needs to feel good. And that's where every day we need to feel successful. So if in your practice right now within your plunge training, uh, you don't feel successful, like you're making progress, that means that there's some sort of standard of measurement uh, in your practice that is incomplete. Mm. And the last thing is that there needs to be PMA, positive mental attitude. And positive mental attitude is simply being able to exercise, uh, being grateful for your training itself and realizing that if your metric is in a second, it's in a position, uh, to identify what that position is and be able to celebrate that for what it is, uh, because that happens to be the foundation for what is to come tomorrow. And if you don't appreciate what you have right now, you're not ready for the next thing. Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. you're never you're never going to arrive at that point, and that's where uh, it's a constant uh, exercise of uh, those three things: showing up uh, daily, uh, chasing quality, and and being able to uh, exercise, being grateful for those things. I'm looking forward to helping Tim with this positive mental attitude mm. by reminding him that mm-hmm. Carl Pauly said you probably won't ever get to do a full punch. <laughs> Can, I'm joking, can, I'm joking, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. no, no, this is this is awesome. Can, can we do a, a, a little a quick exercise? I want to do like this, a, a three superpower exercise. It's very simple. Uh, and uh, you guys can both think about it, but we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the planche that you're working mm. on, okay? Uh, let's, let's not think about the planche. Let's just think about life in general. I want you to think about one thing that you're really good at. Something, a superpower of yours, a talent. Okay. You, you got it? Yeah. Okay, what is it? So I, I'm going to go my handstand push-ups if I'm thinking with a movement. Perfect. Handstand push-ups. Okay. Um, what's the second thing that you're really good at? You're a talent. I think I, I make a mean lasagna, whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like to cook. 
Cooking. You like to cook? Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Okay, and now number three. What's your third superpower and talent? Uh, I've made a career out of coaching. Awesome. You made a career out of coaching. Okay, so your first one was this handstand push-up. That superpower, what it's telling me, one of those strengths, is that you have the ability to present something that is uh, extraordinary. Most people... Uh, can't do a handstand push-up especially when it's freestanding it's like whoa that that means that you put some work into it there's some value there and there's an outstanding presentation so that's one of the your first things is that you are an outstanding presenter the second the second thing you you said was um uh did you say coaching cooking 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 which is uh feeding people it's nurturing people and you don't just do an outstanding job at presenting yourself in your performance, but you also utilize that to feed people. You prepare something that's nurturing. So that exists within your strengths. And then the last thing is that you made a coaching career out of this, is that you are communicating and teaching these values in a way that they are going beyond yourself. And I think that when one can tie those three things together, the extraordinary um, presentation plus the, the nurturing of, of others and then uh, the teaching of that same self-expression uh, for growth, all of a sudden we find meaning. And I think no matter what you do, whether it's teaching people calisthenics or if you end up driving a taxi one day, as long as those three things are present, that you're presenting yourself in an extraordinary way, that you are nurturing the people that are around you, and then you are teaching what you know, you will always feel meaning and you'll see growth. And I think what's beautiful about this is that you can reciprocate this, you're feeding yourself to teach uh, the, the rest of the school of calisthenics, all of a sudden you're going to wind up really quickly and you'll see the progress. So that's uh, something to keep in mind. Awesome. awesome. So you, I think yeah, it's, it's yeah. a fairly good description from, a, from three simple things about me, which you, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, my final question, Carl, from me is around, um, and I can't remember if I read it or watched it on a video, was you talking about... Um, getting into coaching, getting back into, you've been away from gymnastics, you got back into gymnastics and um, you were working with adults that didn't really have a background in, in gymnastics and um, how you, how you, how it almost sounded, the story you were telling was almost like they sort of, you were trying to get them to do loads of like foundation work, which they thought was boring um, and they wanted to do the cool stuff and you sort of let, like gradually sort of let them do more. But then there was this whole sort of, um, how their bodies dealt with not doing the 10 years of base work that they should have done. They just did it for a month and then tried to kick on. And we get a bit of that with calisthenics where someone might have gone from doing nothing. They get, up put, they get, they get into you know, doing pull-ups and they're wanting to do muscle-ups and they end up with tennis elbow because they're not actually addressing and, and progressing uh, effectively. Like what, what um, uh, maybe let's stick to, keep it to handstands as an example. What advice do you have for people from your experience people that are starting to learn they want to learn how to do a handstand and some hand balancing variations whatever they may be but they're you know they're they're 30 they're 40 i mean I had a guy on the phone this year uh, like yesterday it was 59 he was asking if he if, if that's too old to start um with without experience what what would be your advice for them in terms of how they do it safely and effectively but enough of it enough of I think you said the term like enough of the cool stuff or I can't remember exactly what that was yeah cool, cool, they, cool, they enough. cool enough cool yeah, enough yeah. approach I, I think for example if you want to learn how to do a handstand and you practice handstands every day especially if you don't have a foundation and even if you have a foundation as a gymnast you will start feeling some pain the, the, the recommendation is always move away from pain after you moved away from it, don't be scared to revisit where you felt pain to see if it's still true. So what I'm saying here is, let's say you start your handstand training and all of a sudden, uh, a week down the line, uh, you come back and you're like, my wrists are just wrecked. I, you know, I, I just, every time I get into that handstand, I'm feeling extreme pain. 
that it's telling you something. There's something fundamental that's missing. So you must work on the basics around it. And a handstand can be expressed in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be a full handstand. It can be a plank position. It can be holding some dumbbells overhead. You can go on parallettes. You can go on rings. You can do all kinds of accessory work. You can do mobility to get you into a better handstand position. I mean, there's endless uh, training that can be done around a handstand position. The most important thing, I believe, is to be able to see how those basic uh, accessory work pieces that are, quote-unquote, boring, are actually full expressions of the handstand itself. And to be thankful for the time that you get to spend in the cool thing. Yeah. Like, okay, you only have 30 seconds in you per day right now to accumulate enjoy those 30 seconds and then make sure you do all the other work so you can continue to enjoy those 30 seconds and then all of a sudden what ends up happening is it becomes 31 seconds 35 40 50 one minute two minutes five minutes you can do it every day the wrist pain goes away everything starts to come around and that's where it's enjoying the full process not just one piece of it it's the full process yeah. and seeing the value of the full process and uh seeing how Every single bit of the process is the complete picture, which is a very challenging thing to do. But that's that's the approach yeah. to skill acquisition. It's the approach to being able to um, uh, have your own way of uh, navigating a method or a prescription that you guys may offer. It's making me, whether it is related or not, but it's making me think about um, my nutrition at the moment where I'm spending a lot of time preparing food so that if I'm busy I can take it on the road with me or but for, for whatever reason and and I find I do and I find that bit boring but I love eating the delicious stuff and I know that if I don't do the preparation I end up having to buy something that's crap or choose not to buy something that's crap and just go hungry because I don't want to buy some processed food you know whatever it is and um it's a bit of a left field one, but like it's, it's reminding me of that. That's actually, it. That's it. I'm starting to, weirdly. I'm starting to enjoy the preparation a bit more because I know it's almost like the excitement of when I get to then utilize that, which I guess there is a bit of that in in that and getting used to enjoying some of those things that maybe isn't the quite the cool. Dave's got a, a current obsession <laughs> it's, it's, with it's, it's, short it's called it's called four it's called foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. It's a family yeah. show. <laughs> That's a good yeah. point to shift gear towards uh, towards the end. Carl, one last question <laughs> from me, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Um, we talk about the impossible box for people, and we're trying to say like in, the impossible box is a place in your brain where you you put stuff that you you can't do. And um, there was a time when when we started calisthenics, there was a lot of stuff in that box. But Everything. as you start to achieve one thing, you do a handstand for the first time. All of a sudden, you go. Do you know what? Maybe I could do a handstand push-up because you've you've opened up, and it's a growth mindset approach. Um, and now the way that I look at things, I see anything in calisthenics and go, well, I could do any of it if I dedicate enough time and practice towards it. I don't feel like I can't. And like you say, there might be some some of those avenues will lead to dead ends. Like I not, might never get my full plunge, but I feel like I can at least start that journey. So stuff doesn't say doesn't stay rooted in the impossible box for that long anymore. Is there anything that, that, that you're working on where you're going to go, do you know what, that feels like a big audacious goal that um, I've got to put some time into, anything which is a little bit scary and, and makes you kind of just think, do you know what, that's going to that's gonna be a stretch, but I think I can do it. Yeah, are you referring to me physically or are you referring to me in, in my life right now, my career? I feel like more like life and yeah. career. From, from where I've seen your, your journey go from, from, as an observer from the outside of, 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 of where you're at now with, with your approach to, to life and, and movement and, and everything. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things uh, kind of long, long term. is uh, One is I want to make a movie, a full feature film. So that's that's one of those big ones, and and the more I get into the film industry, yeah. <laughs> so as I'm getting into the what the film industry looks like, everyone's just shutting doors on me. So I'm I'm getting hit left and right with you're not good enough, you don't know what you're doing, uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> just be a be a be a student, but slowly as I study, I'm starting to create my own style and people who are noticing that are kind of like, whoa, you actually know something about this storytelling thing and you have um, 
a unique way of presenting uh, through the camera, even holding the camera. So there's something there, and that's exciting. So I'm, the more I do and not listen to the, the voices inside of my head and people around me, uh, the more it's starting to come out. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is um, one of my goals is to be able to articulate, help people articulate uh, who they are, genuinely who they are, and what their strengths are, what their passion is. Just like I, I did this yeah. three superpowers with you in a way that you can be like, you know what, I, I heard that, I can relate. And now uh, on top of that, I'm delivering you with tools to help you apply it to your specific need. So how do I get you to get the plunge? How do I get you to be the most um, complete version of yourself and be as close to that ideal as possible that you had in your head and beyond? Uh, so that's that's another thing is how do I take my seminars and uh, instead of speaking to 50 people, speaking to 10,000 people? How do I take this to a big stage? And I think that's something I'm working on. And then the other thing is I believe that the work that I'm doing is going to attract um, uh, some uh, very important people in this world that are, are building some technology business and developing new culture that is conducive for a bright future uh, that will go beyond our generation, my lifetime, and uh, that's what I'm really excited about. And I'm, I'm uh, striving to find what that technology is, and I believe it has to do with transportation, mm -hmm. um, the transportation industry. So I, I think you'll see me within five to ten years uh, starting to enter the transportation space. Amazing, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, no, Carl, thank you so, so much um, for your time, for coming onto the podcast. Um, I will forever remember Carl Parley saying what they're doing at the scorecard tennis is cool. <laughs> so that will live forever in me. Um, also, if people want to, if our listeners um, want to find out a bit more about you, um, where, where's the best place for them to, to find you? Yeah, come visit us at freestyleconnection.com or you can uh, find us uh, on, on social media or you can find me at Carl Powley uh, anywhere on social media. That's, uh, that's the best way to, to link up and, and see, see what we're up to. Uh, and yeah, I look forward to connecting with people. Yeah, great. I mean, we'll put um, we'll put some of those we'll put those links um, in the description for for the podcast and for YouTube. Um, and obviously, go people go and check Carl out. He's an amazing guy. Just make sure occasionally you come back to us afterwards. Yeah, no, you have to realize how amazing he is. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I'm, a, I'm a, I I want to be a student of, of your school too. Yes. So uh, that's that's how we're doing. Well, it. We'll, we'll we'll set up um, a, a camera for that for the handstand world record on the 23rd of June from Berlin for sure. Yeah, love um, it, love it. Cool. Yeah, thanks again. So this is the big moment. Until next time. Class dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you've enjoyed it, guys, we'd really appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. And if you want to put a one-star one on, that's also fine, but we'll just delete it. <laughs> Until next time, class dismissed. <laughs>